Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. When Jessica left her home country of Venezuela forever and arrived in Holland, the same country, funny enough, that her mother always dreamed of living, there was one thing Jessica had to do first, find the correct corn flour to make arepas. As Jessica's candid speaking style makes me laugh out loud over and over, she also teaches me about the recent history and struggles in Venezuela and how she leveraged one step at a time a job at her local McDonald's, into a graphic design career, a paid education at some of the finest culinary institutions in the world, and finally settled in as a freelance food photographer with her own studio. Before we start, please do take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. And now I'm honored to introduce you to Jessica. So um so you said there there is Holland, right? Yes. Okay. And what is the latest in Holland with the coronavirus? Well, everything is like slow. I mean yeah. the the salons are open, the restaurants are open but not uh, to the full capacity. Mm-hmm. I think today the the prime minister gave a press conference but I didn't have the time to check it out. Mm-hmm. But here okay maybe a few cases, not so many cases, but Okay. Uh people are, I, I mean, they don't like rules here. People that's like the, yeah. That's the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like the rules here. And then there were a lot of protests uh, because, okay, they were against the lockdown, combined it to the uh, Black Lives Matters. It was like all at the same time. That it is was so crazy. interesting because that's actually more like the U.S. than Europe. Like yeah, Europe kind of yeah. took to the lockdown and followed the rules, but not so much the Dutch, huh? No, no, they were saying like, yeah, this is a lie. This is to control us. Okay, this is not real. Yeah, this is what they were saying. This is not real. This is something fabricated. We we are against the lockdown, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. I did not know that that is more of the um, culture (laughs) there. I thought that it would be a very European culture. I was surprised, too, you know. That is so... Interesting. So, um, so I have never been to Holland. <laughs> I <You> have. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about it. Just describe a little bit about what you see. Well, um, let's start from the beginning because we arrived here in 2008, thanks to a friend. He opened the doors, uh, you know, of his house for us to start a new life. And in the beginning, our plan was uh, to move to Italy, from Venezuela to Italy. My husband and I. Okay. Uh, but the, this friend, Dutch friend, he said, no, don't go to Italy. You need to have connections to get a job. And there is no, uh, you know, like balance in mm. what is fair and what is not. And then he said, here in Holland, uh, you have, you know, you can show your, your diploma and you will be value for that and for your knowledge and your experience. So you don't need to have like this friend to connect you, you know. Interesting. So huh. here is fair here you are appreciated by your you know your efforts and Mm. and okay we decided to listen to him and it was a good idea Mm. to listen to him and okay we 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 never thought about Holland but this is crazy my mom the whole time she was dreaming to come here 
Mm-hmm. Always, because she loves flowers, and she was like dreaming about the tulip fields. And I remember she uh, used to decorate my room with uh, tulips. She oh. used to, <laughs> with, no, in some way, she was like you know drawing my 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 walls and making like tulips all the time, like flowers. I remember that was the last time she did my room, and she always dreamed to come here, and I end up here. Mm. That's amazing. That's amazing that your mom always dreamed of it. And now is she there with you or is she still in Venezuela? No, she's still in Venezuela. And the first thing you see when you arrive here is like the bunch of bicycles and the healthy lifestyle. It it is going to sound crazy, but uh, you don't see fat people. Here in the Netherlands, you see tall people, healthy people, like, you know, elder people like riding bicycles. And for me, that was like, oh, my God, look at that lady. It's like my grandma, but my grandma cannot ride a bicycle. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. (laughs) And it's just because people have always walked and bicycled to get everywhere, you think? Yes, 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 because uh, the, the country is built in that uh, in that way, that you can grab your bicycle and, I mean, you can go everywhere by bicycle. All the, 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 the cyclo, uh, cycle path, mm-hmm. I mean, the country is full of that. And mm. we have been to different cities, like, by bicycle. It's really that's cool. Amazing. This is one of the things I, I, I love. And that's, for me, uh, for me, is freedom to ride my bicycle during any time of the day. Mm. and you know feeling safe at the same time i didn't have that in my country okay i mean you cannot you don't have that sense of uh you know safety in your own country and here you have it and i can go with my music and my in my bicycle i can go everywhere anytime during the day mm. and do you feel this yeah and you feel the same for your husband and even your seven-year-old son that they're safe Yes, they are really, yeah, that, that's the reason we also uh, thought about this country. We were looking for a better future, mm-hmm. in, you know, for our family. And, okay, they, I, I feel they have it here. Okay, okay. So do you mind talking about why you decided to move, going into that a little bit more? Or do you want to just yeah, leave it at that? No, it's okay. We can talk. Mm-hmm. My, my husband, uh, in 2002, we, we didn't uh, meet uh, during, I mean, the time, but... Um, we had some kind of uh, protest in Venezuela and the country was like paralyzed because of power, oil. And, you know, there was like the, ba- the, the, the bad thing that could ever happen. And many uh, companies closed. Uh, a lot of people uh, lose their jobs. And everything started to, you know, get like, like Cuba. You know, like communism started in 2002, okay. basically. Okay, so in 2002... Is that, did the Communist Party take over? No, they took over in 1998, 1999, Chavez, the president. And, you know, but he started with some promises, like Uh politicians with promises. Yeah, we are going to make it equal for everybody. Uh, They're going to respect the private property, which is not. (laughs) And, you know, the the whole story. And... In 2002, after that, my husband uh, decided to save money and said, yeah, this is going to get worse and worse. And we met in 2007. And after five months dating, he said, look, I'm leaving the country because this is going to get worse and worse. 
would you like to come with me? And then, okay, we were just like dating for five months. And wow. I, I was like in shock. I never thought about leaving my country. I had like my, my plan, you know, I wanted to work here. I wanted to live there. I wanted my kids to go to the school, mm. you know, all that. And suddenly he changed my whole, my whole world. And mm. it was, it was fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't regret. It is okay. That was the best decision I ever made. Wow. Like to jump on that uh, adventure, and here we are, twelve years. Wow, ago. wow! My head is spinning. I have so many follow-up questions. That's yeah. amazing. So, was your husband correct? Has it gotten yeah, yeah, worse yeah, and worse? Yeah, yeah. Yes, of course, yeah. because we have like food so a uh, shortage. Now we were like uh, we were on the news. I mean, in Venezuela, we were on the news like uh, a few years back because we didn't have toilet paper. You know, Venezuela was like a super rich and powerful country, but super poor at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it is you, you cannot explain. Okay, what what is all that money? Yeah. And, right. And it's the corruption. main product. Exactly, corruption. And one of the main products, uh, Arina Pan, like the corn flour, mm. like it's like it shouldn't, like, you know, I mean, it's like one of the main products in, in every house. It was missing. Wow. You got so, to the point that homes did not, which already ties into this recipe, which is completely based on corn flour. And yes. you couldn't even find corn flour in people's homes. Exactly. And with, wow. with, with the package of, uh, of Arina Pan, you can make more than 30 arepas and you can feed your whole family, you know? It's one of the cheapest products, it's one of the basic products, and it was missing. It's incredible. It is sad. Mm. It is really sad. And now you can find it, like, super expensive. I can pay for a package here around 2 euros or something. Mm -hmm. In my country, you can pay for one package around $10 or more. Wow. So we have like an inflation problem as well. Wow. So what are people eating? Look, it is, I, I cannot explain that. I have seen a lot of um, things on the news that people are trying to grab mangoes from the trees, you know, to survive. So and, people are okay. starving. Of course, but People they don't, starving. you know, they, wow. they don't say that on the news. Okay. Okay. So it's like, it's communism. You cannot, I mean, my family, it's okay. Everyone mm -hmm. who has a, a family, you know, outside and you can send money. Okay. That family is fine. But what about the, that family who doesn't have, you know, any help? Wow. So you're saying the only reason your family's doing okay is because you guys are in Holland and can send them money. Yeah. Yeah. Me wow. and other, I mean, and other families as well. Um, yeah, it mm. is it is sad. Mm. But let's try to make a, a little, you know, a happy story in the end about all this. And let's try to remember how Venezuela was. Yes. And how we remember Venezuela. And hopefully how it will become again. Exactly. That we, yeah. we never lose the hope. So yeah. this is what. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. try to do it. Mm. Mm. So. Venezuela as it was. Let's, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yes. First of all, do you see or, well, do you ever get to go back? No, I haven't no. been there in 12 years. My mom wow. came after 10 years. 
And my dad came uh, after eight years when I was uh, living here. Okay. It is just just for a visit. Yes, exactly. To meet their uh, grandchild and the this uh, the new one, they they don't know him yet in person, because then again we have problems with passports and you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so Venezuela as it was, you were uh, how how old were you when you left? Do you mind sharing? I was twenty five. You were twenty five. Okay, okay. So tell me. well, first of all, do you see any similarities between the Venezuela that you knew growing up and Holland, where you where you're growing up now? Are there any touch points between your experience and, for instance, your kids' experiences? Mm, well, um, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I need to be honest, but no, it, it, they are two different cultures. Mm. And okay. to different countries. I mean, I, I don't want to say that Holland is perfect, but I have to be honest, Holland is way perfect than Venezuela. Mm-hmm. People complain, yeah, we pay a lot of taxes, the weather is bad, but come on, you see that everything works. Mm-hmm. You are so lucky. I mean, this country is smaller than Venezuela, but so powerful, and they know how to use their resources. And there's so uh, many good things that came from Holland. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Venezuela, the issue is that it's an oil-rich country, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. So when you were growing up, was it fairly comfortable and wealthy and then things just got worse later? Or how was it growing up? It was a struggle Mm -hmm. because uh, I remember protests when the gas prices went up. And, okay, people complain because they don't have food to eat. But, ah, come on, you had to see the supermarkets in the past. They were, like, full Mm. of products. Now you can find, like, a whole aisle full of one product. Yeah. Like in the movies. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking here in the U.S., we freaked out when for a couple weeks we were, like, a little low on yeast and flour (laughs) for a couple weeks. well. You know, and yes. we weren't we weren't starving. We just had to eat like <laughs> potatoes instead. You know, in the Netherlands, everyone uh, was like baking bread. I guess at the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were doing it to entertain ourselves rather than to eat. Yes. Mm. Where did you go to school in Venezuela? What was that like? Mm, well. Um... I'm not a rich girl or um, I just come from a working class family mm-hmm. and my I went to the not public but not private school. It was like in the mid in the middle. So you have okay. to pay like a collaboration okay. to maintain the school, but it was not like a private institute. Okay. Uh, it was a Catholic school. And nice. they used to give us for breakfast arepas. It was included. It was wow. like a Mandatory arepa and a glass of milk for all the kids. Wow. And what did they stuff inside those arepas? Uh, well, they were only with butter and white cheese. Oh, that sounds so, delish. <laughs> Anything yeah. stuffed into that today sounds delish. <laughs> yeah. It was like only butter and white cheese because it was like, you know, what they could give us. Right. It's not, no, they couldn't give us like chicken or meat. No. Right. The humble arepa, but you know, it was okay for us. Now, is cheese pretty cheap and easy to produce there? 
Uh, well, I guess in the past, yes. Yeah. No, okay. not anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then who did you grow up with? Who was in the home with you? Well, I don't have any siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, my dad, and most of the time I spend my childhood in my grandmother's house. Okay. Okay. So is your grandmother the one who taught you how to make arepas? Let me ask a question backing up. Do Venezuelans speak Spanish or Portuguese? Spanish. Spanish. Okay. So that's a Spanish word. Yes. Okay. Okay. Does it mean, is there like a literal translation to something? To be honest, I don't know. It is something that is on your DNA. You grow up with that and you know arepa is arepa. Uh, Well, before I ask you then about your grandmother, let me just read this, what you said about arepas. So it was beautiful. It said for us, and I just feel awful because I know I'm butchering the pronunciation of this and I apologize, but um, no problem. (laughs) Thank you. You said for us, arepas are our culinary business card and introduction to our country's gastronomy from the first bite. They're part of our soul music, color, and happiness. Arepas are the best ambassador of our country and will always be the best connection with our land. That was beautiful, Jessica. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) That was just absolutely beautiful. So I want to break this down a little bit. How do they connect Venezuelans to their land? Yeah, because, for example, when we arrive here, Mm -hmm. uh, the first Thing, the first thing you look is where can I buy arena pan to make arepas? Because it's something that you carry with you. I mean, you need to make arepas for breakfast or for lunch. And it's something that, I don't know, it's like your connection. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how, how to explain. It's like, mm-hmm. mm. it's like your, com- your, your, your security blanket. It's mm. like everything. Yeah, you had left behind the climate, you had left behind the landscape, the people, your family. But if you had arepas, mm-hmm. you could be comforted. Yes, exactly. That, that That is the point. That is the point. And it wasn't easy to find uh, the corn flour here in the Netherlands because it wasn't that popular mm-hmm. 12 years ago. Okay, we have here some Colombian people living and some uh, people from the from Curacao that also know the product, but it was not that wasn't that popular. But now it is. Oh, really? Yes. Because more Venezuelans have arrived, or do you know yes. why? Yes, oh, yes, yes. Okay. That's also the reason. Okay. One of the That's many reasons. That's interesting. So, is there a is there a large Venezuelan population there in Holland right now? Well, if I check. I mean, if you check it, we are around like 2,000, I guess. Not, We are not so many because of the language issue, the barrier of the language. I mean, you can stay here if you speak English. It's fine, but it is a must if, I mean, that, that you have to speak Dutch. Do you speak Dutch? I speak a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> how did you and your husband get jobs and how did you learn to speak Dutch or do you use English for your jobs? Well, I use English for my jobs and also Spanish for my jobs. Um, but my husband, um, for because of his career, he's a software developer. He oh. doesn't need to speak Dutch. So it's English and it's fine. Okay. Uh, I was... A graphic designer, that is my background. 
But when you arrive here, you realize that this career is all about communication and it's a must for some companies to speak and write and read uh, good Dutch. I see. I see. Yeah, so but not when you are in Amsterdam. I mean, if you go to Amsterdam, you can perfectly speak English or your mother tongue. Because uh, in my experiences, I, I had like Spaniards and people from Italy that you can also, you know, talk to them in Spanish. I see. Okay. Okay. So, but you don't live in Amsterdam. No, I live in Wateringen. I used to live before in The Hague for uh, 11 years, but we moved to this little uh, suburb. Because it's more like family, it's super quiet, and it's close to the school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. That's <laughs> why we live where we live. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So do you work as a graphic designer now? No, I no. switched my path uh, in 2018, to be exact. Like when I decided to jump like fully into, uh, into the food photography. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Mm, okay. So going back to the arepas, um, you were telling me a little bit about your grandmother. Did she teach you how to make them or is it just something you can't, you can't not learn how to make those if you're Venezuelan? No, I mean, it's like, uh, we have a song uh-huh. when we, when we learn as a baby, you know, we need to learn how to clap, you know, mm-hmm. and we have a song is about making arepitas, arepas. You know, little arepas. It's arepita de manteca que mamá le da la teta. Arepita de cebada que papá no le da nada. So we teach our kids how to make arepas. It's like clapping. It's like you give them like a little bowl of the dough and then you sing the song. And that goes generation to generation. And it's like like a, (laughs) a Venezuelan thing. Wow. Yeah. There's really literally no other recipe you could have given me is there. It always had to be arepas. That's amazing. That's amazing. And how, how many times a day would you eat them? Well, you can eat them as a breakfast, snack or lunch, even dinner. I, I remember uh, my whole life, like spending days, afternoons, mornings at my grandmother's house. So she was not um, the fanciest, fanciest woman. And she was like super hardworking, I mean, in the house, because that is also a work, a job at this point. And, you know, raising kids, that is a tough job. And, you know, the household, everything. She was not rich. I mean, she was really humble. I love spending my time there with her. Uh, I remember she was always uh, ready in the afternoon, uh, a batch of uh, just arepas with butter and cheese in black coffee. That's it. Mm. So everyone who arrived to her house, okay, here's an arepa for you. Here's coffee. So mm. that was like her welcome uh, to all the people mm. in her. I remember the, you know, the smell of the arepas. Sometimes uh, she burned them on purpose because she liked them like that. Oh, that that little crisp. <laughs> <laughs> now, who were these people that would come by? Did you just have a stream of visitors coming in to eat arepas? Um, Oh, since my, my, my uncles, my aunts, so we, we, we love to spend time at my grandmother's house. It was like the union place for, for the whole family. Mm-hmm. So I remember that always. And my, my school was nearby. And I finished my classes at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. 
And when I just arrived to my grandmother's house, she was like ready, giving me an arepa. And I was watching TV until waiting until my, my parents come to pick me up because they used to work, you know, and mm-hmm. my grandmother was like the, the babysitter for all of us. Now, I, the one thing I did want to ask you about your grandmother making them is, um, and this always, I, I, I feel like so many traditional dishes that I get are like this and that, you know, it's not just you toss everything into a casserole dish and shove it all into the oven, right? I mean, every single one has to be made individually. Yes. So was your grandmother very, very quick at it or was it something that would just take her... You know, now I was photographing, but it took me a long time to make this meal for my family because everyone had to be weighed and then, you know, shaped and then fried. And then, you know, I could fry about eight at a time in a pan and then finish in the oven. You know, when you're making something individual, that's a time consuming job. Yes. No, but my grandmother, she was like super quick and she was not like, uh, you know, into details. She was like a bam, 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 done, great. <laughs> she was not. She was not like, oh, you know, careful or thoughtfully about each, uh, you know, step in the way. No, ready. That's it. I remember one of her, you know, particular dishes. She called it Sambumbia. That is her invention. It's, there's nothing in the world called like that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really sure. It is some kind of risotto. It is mm. not risotto because it's not made with the with the with that special rice. Oh, the arborio rice or whatever. Yeah. No, she grabbed the, the rice she had, she added some pumpkin, some pieces of chicken, she cooked them, done. That's it. Mm. Wow. <laughs> That's wow. it. Wow. I love it. I think I would have liked your grandmother. And what is Venezuelan black coffee like? It is like Americano. Okay. It's not super dark roast. No, no, no. We call it guayoyo. Guayoyo. That's, okay. the, that's the word for the black coffee we drink. It's not hard. It's not that um, black, or it's not that watery. It's mm-hmm. in the middle. It's just in the middle, and everybody could drink coffee at six p.m. or eight p.m. and just sleep yeah. just fine. <laughs> yes, yes, even kids. You know, it, that is so irresponsible that you cannot give uh, kids coffee. But it's like a cultural thing. I remember having breakfast with coffee when I was like seven, six years old with coffee and cookies. It, it is something like normal. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, it really is. It really is. Now, you know how um, a lot of dishes, like everyone has kind of their own little version. You can almost tell like, oh, that's grandma's, you know, spaghetti sauce. Well, that's mm-hmm. Aunt Kate's, you know. Could you even almost identify people by their arepas or did everybody kind of just make them almost the exact same? No, we have different arepas. <laughs> in our countries i mean from the from the from the west side where my my husband is from originally uh he's from maracaibo uh they eat arepas uh like fried arepas so mm-hmm. instead of uh, bake them you fry them and they make them like super thin and they cut it in pieces they 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 make some kind of taco. I can't describe it. Yeah, it's some kind of taco. So you you place the arepa, you cut it like in squares, then you add some um, coleslaw and some shredded meat and cheese and all the toppings you want, even like boiled eggs, hard boiled eggs, like and you know ketchup and garlic sauce and more cheese and they call it arepa cabimera. Wow. So, <laughs> Our differences depends on the on the region of the the country. Okay, that's so interesting. Yeah, because the ones you gave me, you actually make them thick enough that you can cut them across through. Like exactly. 
like an English muffin or a yes, mm, like a pita bread, like a round pita bread, like a brown. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, the difference is like I I know Reina Pepiada from my from my city from Maracay. It's like two hours away from Caracas. I know that we uh, put the petit pois in the mix. Mm. I think it's to make it more colorful and more playful and also for the texture. And some friends from Caracas, they say, well, we don't do that. Interesting. Tell me the story that you told me about this particular version. It was named after someone. Tell us about that. Well, the Reina Pepiada, the arepa, like the chicken avocado arepa, was named after um, a beauty pageant. The, our first Miss World, or uh, if I don't make a mistake, she was like uh, in 1955, Susana Duin. Uh, she was our first Miss, not our first Miss, Miss Venezuela, but our first Miss World. And it was like, okay, super, uh, you know, the contagious, the, 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 the happiness and this and that. And someone named the, this arepa after her and the translation is like a curvaceous queen um in the past or in the 50s the standards of beauty uh they were like more into natural you know yeah mm-hmm. you were not after like 90 60 90 you know those measurements yes they were like curvaceous uh, women beautiful natural not surgeries so i think that is the reason uh it was named um after sana duim yes says I think that's such an amazing story. So I'm actually looking her up to see if she, um, yeah, I mean, she certainly wasn't a heavy woman. That's for sure. Yeah. She and is big. She is very beautiful. Yes. And very natural. I mean, she was like brunette, uh, dark yep. eyes and dark hair. Maybe it was a surprise for that uh, beauty pageant uh, that, you know, someone that was not like, you know, perfection uh, or blonde and blue eyes. You know, yes. something like regular. Yes, exactly. Although she is a very, very stunning woman. Yes, she was. Well, she passed away, passed away uh, like four years ago. Really? So, oh, she was like, uh, it was like sad news. But uh, I mean, uh, she's in a better place, I'm sure. Wow. So did she, she really became, to be honest with you, I don't think most people in the U.S., for instance, kind of know who Miss America is. Maybe they I, I don't even know that we, I think we still do it. <laughs> I, I don't know. But this was a very, very big deal in yes. Venezuela. Yes, we, we remember all the names of the, you know, the most popular. We don't, I, I don't think we have more than 10. And I remember there was a time that one Miss Venezuela gave another Miss Venezuela the crown of the Miss Universe. So that was like super crazy. Wow. So uh, two years consecutively. Exactly. And so that was like, oh, so for, for us, we are like a factory of uh, beautiful women. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing to, that's such a, wow, that's just such a positive way for women to think about themselves in Venezuela. I'm, I actually can't imagine living in a society where I could just freely say American women are beautiful. We're just beautiful women. That's such a gift. Yeah, but it is, it is also like a lot of pressure. Uh, we are known as, as women, like, okay, we Venezuelan women supposed to be like all the time, you know, uh, beautiful, mm. slim. And uh, I noticed that when I, when I was living there, you have such a pressure to, you know, to maintain your weight and do not go, do not go overweight and you watch what you eat and you are always like at the beauty salon and doing your nails and this and that. And then when, when I moved to Holland, 
I, I said, okay, I saw that, okay, this is this is amazing. All the, the girls are natural. They don't wear that, that much makeup and they look beautiful. And then I felt comfortable, like living here. Yeah. It's not so plastic, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's okay. It's more real. Plastic, fantastic. Exactly. But sometimes, okay, uh, when you sit down on the street, you know, a full, uh, in a place full of uh, Dutch women, you know, in, in other groups, then you can recognize a Venezuelan girl. Like, okay, that's Venezuelan. She's not from here. <laughs> mm, and it's not just because the coloring is different. It's because she's just presenting herself differently. Exactly. A lot of accessories and the hair done and makeup is, is you know, mm. it's like a, a production. Hmm, that's so interesting. So this this Aripas was named after that woman. Um, is there? Tell me what makes them different. Like what makes them set apart in terms of ingredients or something? And it does it have anything to do with her? Really? Was it her favorite? Did she or or anything like that? Or did they just name it after her to celebrate? No, I think the the detail of these is like the combination of the chicken and avocado. I think it's magical. Um, yeah. In our countries, the avocados are so big com compared to uh, those what you can find here that's so small. And that's also uh, one of the things we use our resources. And it's like, just like, wow, magical. And here it's like, you know, when, when I make those for, for my friends, for when, when we have parties, because now arepas are part of uh, celebrations. We yeah. don't arepas every day like we do in our country, like, you know, normally... You have them for breakfast, for lunch, for... Now we have them for uh, special occasions. When we want to introduce ourselves and, and we go to a party, we bring arepas because we want to teach how, how our country tastes like, you know? Mm -hmm. And Dutch people appreciate that, especially when it's uh, with avocado and, and chicken. They, they mm -hmm. love it. I mean, that combination is like pff, crazy. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you a funny story. Um, around two years ago, a friend of mine was uh, launching a book and he needed someone to cook the, to do the catering for that event. Mm -hmm. And then he asked me, Jessica, do you think you could make food for my event? And I say, okay, of course, I would love to because um, everything that is related to food, I'm in. <laughs> and I would love to. <laughs> uh, okay, I did a couple of fancy uh, things. They were like canapes with the... Uh, fruits of the season it was like summertime mm -hmm. and then I told my husband look what I did and then he told me you're missing something <laughs> because <laughs> everything was like fancy but no like Pff. and then he told me why don't you make little arepas like mini arepitas and then you made it with the ch with the chicken and avocado I give it a try I, I made just 12 little arepitas just in case when I served those arepas, people came from, you know, to the kitchen and they asked, do you have more? Wow. A French wow. guy. He told me, do you have one of those little breads with the, with the chicken and the, and the avocado? And then like, oh, okay, they are sold out. <laughs> right. But I never thought that was like the, the hook of the whole event. After that, they called me for two more events. This time was... you had to make a lot of those arepitas, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had to be more prepared for, you know, for the next occasions. To arepas is something so simple and so humble. And I mean, when it's made with love, I, I think that's that's the secret. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I made the first batch today 
and they they vanished within 10 minutes and I said okay I'm gonna just make the one so I can say I've tasted it and then I'll eat my breakfast yeah I scrapped the rest of my breakfast plans (laughs) (laughs) and I just ate my arepas with avocado (laughs) yes so have you had to adapt these at all it doesn't sound like you've had to do any adaptations for Dutch ingredients you can find everything you need there yes except for uh, there was the, the white cheese. The white cheese we have in our country is like unique. But in the meantime, feta cheese also works. And okay. also we have something they call uh, Vite Maikas. It's like white cheese of May. Mm. And it's getting more and more popular. They only produce that cheese during May only. But now you can find it the whole year. That's so interesting. Now, Holland is actually pretty well known for its cheeses, isn't it? Yes. But it's very, they don't produce the same kind you produce in Venezuela. No, we have a other variety of cheese. So what is a Venezuelan cheese like? Well, we have uh, queso llanero. It's like the cowboy cheese. Like, let's call it like that. This is like where the, the one you use for arepas mm-hmm. every day. It's like mm-hmm. white cheese. It's like salty. It's similar to feta. You can uh, shred it or grind it. It is not that creamy. It's like more firm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So you started talking about if it has to do with food, you're in. And that, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> and that rather than doing a design career, you went into food photography. So your photography is beautiful. Where some people kind of lead with their photography, you mm-hmm. have some really serious culinary credentials. Wow. Le Cordon Bleu? That's, that's pretty significant. So tell me a little bit about this path. Well, I have this connection with food since forever. When I was uh, studying the graphic career design uh, in Venezuela, I used to work uh, part-time at McDonald's. <laughs> and look, and look how fun this is. This is when I arrived here. Um, the first job I could find was uh, at McDonald's because uh, the, the, the manager... Uh, is from Curaçao, and he told me, you know, yes, I'm going to give you the chance because you're going to learn the language here at the restaurant, and I'm going to, uh, okay, you, you're going to show all the Dutch people that you can do it. Like, yeah, okay, I can do it. And because I had the background from Venezuela and I know how McDonald's works, it's the same everywhere. Right, so, but it's not as easy as people think. I always think that would be very stressful working in the drive through I, I, I uh, thank McDonald's that I'm really multitasking. So that yeah. is a good thing about working there. You can do five things at the same time and you have to do them right. Yeah, it's no joke. Exactly. Mm. And okay, and here's the funny part. When I was working at McDonald's here, my very, very basic Dutch and my English Mm-hmm. And okay, I'm keeping my profile, you know, okay, I'm interested to work again in advertising, da da da. And one time a lady from Amsterdam called me from an agency that they recently got the McDonald's Netherlands account and they were looking for a graphic designer and they knew that I was a graphic designer, that I worked for, for McDonald's in Venezuela, that I'm also working at McDonald's in Netherlands and they wanted to have me. So that was like a positive wow. thing. So <laughs> it was so super funny. <laughs> How did she know about you? I mean, I was on LinkedIn and she saw my profile. And then wow. she said, 
we want you because you know how things were from inside. She's from Croatia. And we want you here because we want to know what the client wants and what also the restaurant wants. And they took me to, to their agency and I was working for them for about two years. Wow. It was funny. Um, after that, I was like into baking cakes because I'm always like curious. I want to, you know, learn and improve. And then I was like super obsessed with Carlos Bakery's uh, show. <laughs> yes, we loved that. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, so then, I used to lay in bed and watch that at night. And I was like obsessed with the, the fondant art he used to or he does. And then I said, okay, I'm going to achieve that. I'm going to do that. It was okay. And then this Amsterdam job again called me back. They knew I was like a foodie that I used to make photos with my cell phone Mm -hmm. of cakes and food. Mm -hmm. That's it. And okay, they hired me as a visual graphic designer. And we need to, you know, make, you know, food photography. And I was getting super popular, like those uh, flatte pictures from the top. Mm -hmm. And they were hiring freelancers for the food photography. But they've run out of uh, food photographers because there were so many restaurants. And then my boss told me, Jessica, would you like to give it a try? Like, grab the camera and go to some restaurants and make some pictures. I know you can do it. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, let's do this. I don't know how to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And <laughs> I have to be honest, I did it like that. Mm-hmm. They love it. There you they go. They love it. <laughs> they love it. And then they said, you know what? You are going to courses. You are going to Le Cordon Bleu. And you're going to late to learn about food photography, food styling. Come on. And wow. I went to those courses. They, they pay for my education, those two courses. That is a dream for so many people that are going to be listening to this. And when I finished with those courses, they sent me for an international campaign. So I went to Poland, Germany, Belgium, all these countries uh, around here to make mm-hmm. pictures of the restaurants, of the food. I, I went to places that I, I've never been, like, for example, Poland. Wow, when? It was really cool. I enjoyed the time. And I started to, started to you know, to build my Instagram and try to publish things that, you know, could be, like, really appealing to the people. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly changing and trying to, to find my voice, mm-hmm. although I don't like to be in a box. I like to show um, that I'm bubbly. That's mm-hmm. the word that very described me. I'm very bubbly. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy. I can, I can have my days that, okay, I want to go dark or I want to go pink, you know, mm-hmm. with the weather. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, it's one of my biggest gripes with Instagram. It's like, I can almost predict how well a photo is going to do. And it's like, do we really all just want to keep putting the same photos out? Really? So that's why I love this. Whatever people give me, I have to try to make it beautiful. I like to show variety. And, but my husband always says, Jessica, but this is what people want. They want a, a person who is focusing on one thing. Like, mm. no, no. It's not true because I remember my first job interview as a a graphic designer. The guy told me, yeah, but you're too colorful because my portfolio was from Venezuela. I mean, but you can see the different styles. And okay, here they are more like minimalist. It's like quiet, like take it easy. Not so many elements, but I can adjust myself to depends on the client. 
Yeah. Do you feel like your Venezuelan roots and heritage and personality come out in your photography when you, like you said, you can adjust for a client, but if you take photos just for yourself, do you feel like that comes out in it? Yes, especially mm-hmm. when I do colors, mm-hmm. like, um, like for example, these macarons, they are so French, but okay, let's do some pink and maybe more pink. <laughs> and when I, <laughs> and maybe it's too Rococo, but I don't care because maybe there are some people who loves it. Mm-hmm. I, I learned to, to listen only, you know, to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I really love that because then my creativity flows when when yeah. I listen only to to myself like Jessica yes this is this is what you like yeah. go for it yeah yeah okay going back to the to the to the jobs and stuff and food mm-hmm. photography uh well they educate me and that company I I appreciate what they did for me mm-hmm. and but I felt that I didn't belong there anymore one day and I was saving during you know during that time and I felt more comfortable like going in and out and not staying in an office you know for eight hours I wanted to you know be a photographer Mm -hmm. so let me back up I want to ask so when you went to like Le Cordon Bleu and the other places that they sent you like the elite school of food and wine and um the, even the Culinary Center in New York. Now, they didn't teach you photography there, right? No, they teach you photography. It was about oh. food photography and styling, but oh. not about how to cook. But yeah, we work with chefs um, okay. during those courses. But I want to go to culinary school. That is like, that is like one of my goals. So mm, Okay. Okay. Let's wait okay. for the baby to grow a little bit more. Yeah, then- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, you just decided you'd rather go freelance and just explore more types mm-hmm. of jobs, more types of photography. Yes, because with that company, it was like, okay, this uh, style, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go further. I wanted mm-hmm. to have some freedom to to work with, the, you know, what the client wants and mm-hmm. not always, you know, like the same background, the same shot, the same position for everything. I was like, no, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's going well. I, I love it. I love it. How do you find you get most of your clients? Well, I have, um, well, via via. So they contact you or they recommend you or Instagram. Instagram uh, works really well because it's like your portfolio and also my website. Yeah, I did make the arepas this morning. And like mm-hmm. I told you, they were, I scrapped my breakfast plans, my little yogurt and berries that I have every day. And I had mm-hmm. arepas for breakfast because <laughs> they were delicious. And yes. um, I have several questions though. So first of all, Honestly, the most basic of all questions, I am not actually sure that I used the correct flour. The flour that I used, it it didn't say pre-cooked. It's a white bag with like yellow and green writing. And it says masica. Maseca. I, I know maseca. It's also really good and tastes more like corn. This is what the Mexican people used to, to make uh, the tortillas. Okay, but this is not the correct stuff. No, it's not the correct stuff, but you can also make arepas with that. <laughs> okay, what brand do you use? We use uh, one that is called Pan. P-A-N. Yeah, you did mention that. Uh, okay, yes. And it's pre- it's pre-cooked, which is different than pre-cooked. instant. I was hoping it was instant because it was like processed a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe not. 
Let's see. This one is also good. This the Maseka is really fancy, to be honest. <laughs> oh, is it really? Oh, I see this. Yes, I can actually get it from Amazon if I can't find it at my store. <laughs> okay. So then my next question was, well, first of all, I'm wondering if it is the is the that the flower was different. But when I used these proportions, it was really wet. So I just added more flour until it was like you said, it was not sticky yeah. at all. It was really easy to work with. So is it because of that corn flour, do you think? Yes, because they're two different. This maseca is like more elastic. It is really thin. And then you will see the, the other one, the pan, is more thick. Okay, so like this is finer. Exactly. I see. Okay, so then, um, okay, so in terms of actually forming the arepas themselves. How, how thick? I would say mine was, it was definitely thicker than a quarter of an inch. Maybe maybe a little more than a half inch. Is that correct or not so much? Okay, I talk in centimeters. <laughs> oh yeah, centimeters. Oh yeah. Let me see. I would say maybe like so maybe maybe mine were more like two centimeters when I look at it. Oh, them. they were thicker. That's too thick? Yeah, yes. Okay, so more like one centimeter. Mm-hmm. Okay. It depends okay. on uh, on what you like. It's personal taste. That sounds perfect. Okay. And then my only other question was with this mixture, two questions. So mm-hmm. I've actually never heard of green paprika. I've only seen paprika that's red. Really? Honestly. And I've gotten several different types of red paprika, you know, smoked or Hungarian paprika or something else, but I've never seen green paprika. Wow. That is shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Do you know anything about that? It's sweet pepper. Oh. Bell pepper. Bell pepper. Yes. Not bell. Oh, I thought the seeds are. Got it. Yeah, that's why it doesn't have a teaspoon or anything like that, because you're literally just saying a half of a green pepper. Yeah, to me, paprika is, um, it's like a ground powder, but paprika just must literally mean pepper. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. And then yes. um, same type of thing. Petit pois. Is that just peas? Really tiny ones? Yes. But that is my personal touch. Uh, I have spoken with so many people and they say, no, Reina Pepiada don't, don't have uh, petit pois. Maybe in, my, in my, my city, we prepare it like that. But this is how I know Reina Pepiada. Interesting. That all makes total sense. Okay. And I loved your technique because they're a little thicker. I loved your technique of frying them just very lightly or even sauteing them, you could call it, and then finishing it in the oven. What should the, what should the texture be inside? When you uh, cut it, I mean, it doesn't need to be like raw. It has Uh to be like soft and maybe it can stay a little bit in the knife. Okay. Just a little. Okay. I, I think even with the wrong flour, then the texture was actually just, just about correct. Okay. Well, I think that's my only questions. I absolutely love them. I'm really excited to make more. Yes. Um, I guess my last question for you is just, what do you feel like is next for your life? Well, I would love to continue uh, doing food photography. I am waiting for a cooking book <laughs> that is supposed to be like launch uh, this year. But, you know, with the whole Corona situation, uh, everything is like delay. And probably I would I would like to make my own cooking book uh, about arepas because I was making a list and I have so far like 63 different different types of arepas. 63. Yes. And that's not about toppings because toppings can be, you know, 
a whole variety, but how how do you with just the same three ingredients, water, no. flour, and salt? No, it's uh, also you can also find uh, arepas made with um, with flour, uh-huh. and they are baked, not like pancakes, but yeah, tastes like similar. Okay. And you also have the influence from other countries. So, for example, Colombians, they have uh, arepa con huevo. So it's a fried arepa that it has a egg uh, inside. And then you fr- double fried the arepa and then the egg is cooked. And when you cut it, you know, the yolk is like creamy Run- and shiny wow. and runny. Wow. So I've been like researching ab- about, okay, how many types of, of arepas uh, can exist and there are a lot and there are a lot are there any sweet or dessert already arepas yes we call them arepita dulce it's like sweet arepa ah. and you made them like really really thin uh, but the mixture is like the same mm-hmm. but instead of uh, salt you add sugar and a nice uh, a nice seed you know, anise. What is an, the word? An, an, yeah, I, I, call, I, I've always, I call it anise, but yes, I know exactly anise. what you're about. Yeah, this, anise. it's like the star shape, and you grind it up, right? Yes. Yeah. And then you add those to the mixture, a little bit of salt, and then you fry them, and that's it. They're sweet arepas. Interesting. Amazing. Yeah, is star anise a um, South American ingredient? Think of it as Asian. We have a lot of influence. Uh, also, the plantain, the fried plantain. I was like listening the other day your podcast and like, okay, we eat that. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? <laughs> it's like one of the one of the main components of our national dish that is called pabellón. So it's like black beans, shredded meat, rice, and plantains. You know, fried it's. Plantain. It really is interesting how small of a world it is when it comes to foods and food influences. It really is. Yes, it It is. It really is. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Yes. Let me tell you something about the arepas. We have the the fight with the Colombian people because they think they they create the arepas. And no, we create the arepas. Because (laughs) (laughs) this is like, you know, it's in history. You can read in history books as well. Simón Bolívar is like one of these main characters of history of Venezuela who traveled, uh, you know, Colombia. And he brought that influence to the rest of the countries, to Ecuador, to Bolivia. And we have to fight for it it's like the same fight they have the dutch people and the belgians about um, they have something that is called uh tompos it's like the millefoie something like that with mm-hmm. cream inside and like a pink frosting on top and they fight all the time that they created no we created so <laughs> it is the same that's so funny yes 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 it is the same it is the same my god it is funny all right well please 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 tell everyone where they can find you how they can contact you well you can find me uh on instagram Uh, the name is like a little bit long it's jessica underscore duke underscore photography Mm -hmm. but the jessica is not with the yay it's with the y yes Mm -hmm. and duke is d u Q-U-E. Yes. So it, it's like a duke, but in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> is that what the name is for? Yes. Well, I will definitely be sharing your information all over um, both the recipe and the episode blog post. So everyone will be able to contact you. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we got off the phone? 
we, we spoke about the memories, right? About how Venezuela was and how Arepas represent us and, you know, the childhood and my grandmother teaching us the song. So I think, uh, yeah, if you're Venezuelan if, and if you're listening to this podcast, you you will remember that part. So it's like, you know, it's like encrypted in our brain. Like mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you, Becky, for uh, this opportunity to share uh, this this uh, part of my my culture with, with your audience. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jessica. Go. I Thank hope the baby's you. okay. <laughs> yeah, they are all fine. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thank you so much, Jessica, for your time, your story, and your arepas recipe. For my family, it was one of the favorites that this podcast has brought our way. And advice to you listeners, make a double batch. You can find Jessica's contact information and her recipe over on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com. If you enjoyed this episode, will you please do a couple things to help me out? First, subscribe right now. Also, please share this episode with your friends and family or on social media. And finally, Every single review helps me continue and make this work more sustainable. Thank you and have a great week, my friends. Thank you so much, Jessica, for your time, your story, and especially your delicious arepas recipes. When I photographed this recipe, my family was circled around the island waiting for me to come back in with the finished dish. So here's some advice to you listeners. Make a double batch. You can find Jessica's contact information and her recipe over on my website, thestoriedrecipe.com. If you enjoyed this episode, will you please do a couple things to help me out? First, would you subscribe right now to the podcast? Also, if you share this episode with your friends and family or on social media, or if you write a review on Apple Podcasts or in your player, all of those things help me continue in this work and make it sustainable. Thank you and have a great week, my friends.